You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, as usual, my sometimes reluctant co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hey now. Hey now. Are you ripping that off now that the hey now guy is dead? He's not dead. Isn't he dead? I thought the guy from that show died. Oh God, I hope not. Maybe it's the other guy, Larry Sanders? Yeah, he's dead. Oh, okay. Gary Shandling. He's been dead for a few years. Oh, what Hank, the guy who plays Hank, is not dead, but he was um, alleged to be a uh, in a Me Too thing. Well, and I and I I, be- I believe his now. denial. Most of Hollywood now is alleged to be in a Me Too thing. Yeah, I believe his denial. Okay, well, I'm glad you believe his denial. I believe his uh, his truth. I don't know any details, so I'm not choosing sides. Actually, I have no idea because I wasn't there. <laughs> you just believe him because you're like, hey now, hey I'm now, like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's the standard then for Me Too allegations these days. What? You you believe who you like better. I think so, yeah. In films. That seems to be the... Like if someone Me Tooed Tom Hanks, everyone would be like, no, we don't believe you because Tom Hanks. No, nobody would believe him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if you Me Tooed Clint Eastwood, people might believe it. <coughs> Didn't somebody Me Too Clint Eastwood recently? I don't think so. Not that I know of. I thought, or maybe yeah, he was... Don't start spreading rumors, Lee. Maybe it was like a racist Me Too. Like oh, not well. a sex Me Too, but a racist yeah, Me Too. Yeah, he's a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. He's, anyway. I mean, he's a Obama-hating right-wing This is Trump not supporter. the Me Too podcast. No. This is the Driving Law podcast. Hey now, we have Driving Law topics to talk about today. Holy crap, do we ever. It's been a crazy week for driving law-related stories. So this week, Monday, started out being the um, started out being the uh, hearing of the appeal in Regina and Tannhauser. Yes. Do you recall that case? No. So Tannhauser was the individual who was uh, driving with an immobilizer app on his phone. Yeah. And he had um, he had uh, argued at trial that he wasn't using an electronic device because he had it immobilized. And the court, in traffic court, rejected his argument, saying it's still an electronic device, even if there's an immobilizer, but... Oh, this is the one from Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. But he exercised due diligence by using the immobilizer, so I find him not guilty. Mm-hmm. Crown appealed. This was... I believe you talked to the officer yep. involved. There's JJP Gordon. Yeah, it was JJ Gordon and it was Constable um, Suter, right? Uh, I think he was one of the ones involved or he yeah. was, he knew all about it like because Suter it was his, and Christians? his group anyway. Yeah. So it was uh, appealed. The Crown did not succeed at the appeal. On appeal, the judge uh, in traffic court, or sorry, in BC Supreme Court said, I don't accept the due diligence argument. I think that's wrong. I think it's just not an electronic device anymore because as soon as it's immobilized, it's not posing the risk that the legislature is trying to target 
They're trying to target devices that actually can send and receive. Send and receive. And if it can't send and receive, it doesn't fall within the definition. So Crown sought leave to appeal this because this is a summary conviction, a Crown's summary conviction appeal that was dismissed. They require leave only on a question of law, which of course there is in this case, um, or mixed law and fact. And the Court of Appeal granted leave. And uh, arguments were heard on Monday. So where do you, what do you think it's going to be? Well, uh, Brandon from our office uh, went and checked out a little bit of the proceedings and uh, spoke with some of the counsel involved in the case, and I also did. And probably it's going to be back to the due diligence from the questions, from what you can take from questions from the bench. The due diligence argument is probably going to be the one that's going to carry the day. The court didn't seem to be very persuaded by the notion that an electronic device is not an electronic device if it has an immobilizing app. And I can see that. I can see lots of reasons for them to go that way. To turn the immobilizing app off or on, you have to interact with the functions of the device, which means the device is still capable of transmitting and computing and processing data, which means it's still an electronic device. Exactly. Like that's, I think, the biggest hurdle on that argument. Um, what would be nice would be if the legislature created an exception for these, considering ICBC's pilot testing them. Um, ICBC's pilot test has ended, and they're not looking at giving any credit for that. Um, I think the problem that that uh, any motorist has is there's an easy way to deal with the next step of it and that is to make sure that the device is securely fastened or nowhere that's within your reach. I mean stick it in your cup holder if you're not using it. This fellow had it up on his dash uh, or had it in his hand. It was in his hand, he was yeah. holding it. Yeah. So the, I mean the problem I think that the police have all along with this is the facts and they are not happy about the, the uh, that the JJP accepted that he wasn't using it and believed the um, the mobilizing app was on there. But now we're to the point where I mean, we're that beyond is... that and they're not, the court's not going to revisit those factual findings. Yeah, no, the court can't revisit the factual findings because it's Crown Appeals. But um, like Crown can't appeal on a finding of fact, even if there's palpable and overriding error. So like the judge could find that Mr. Smith was not in the vicinity of the robbery because he was on the moon and the crown still could not appeal. So the moon defense um, <laughs> is what is what succeeded in this case. Yes. Uh, and I don't it does, think... It does open the door. <clears throat> it does open the door for anybody to come to court. You know, in the same way that we hear complaints from police officers about stop sign tickets. You know, people just come to court and they say... And lie. I stopped. Well, maybe they don't lie. Some people are probably telling the truth. And some people are probably not. But it opens the door for that same thing with cell phones. Oh, yeah, I had my phone in my hand, but it was immobilized. And unless the officer actually saw the person typing or texting or whatever, then they're never going to be able to successfully prosecute it if the person testifies that it was immobilized. Uh, and the same thing is, you know, every once in a while you get somebody who comes to say that, oh, no, it was broken, it didn't work, I was just holding it in my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, the, um, I mean, it, it's an issue of being believed. Yeah. Uh, and I think 
in most circumstances, if I was a JJP, I would have real difficulty believing that. But it's not. But with an immobilizing the thing, person it's a might lot establish easier, it. <clears throat> with an immobilizing thing is a lot easier to believe. Well, you know, I, oh, I, I was just moving it from one place to another because it it was unsafe where it was. I would or... expect the person to be uh, just as in the same circumstances when you pull somebody over who's a new driver and they've got you know four people in the vehicle. There's an onus on them, an obligation to explain that you know these are family members and yeah. therefore you're exempt. Yeah. Uh, I think a similar thing in this uh, in this circumstance where you've got an immobilizer. No, of course. The police officer's giving you a ticket. I think you would have to demonstrate at that point that you've got an immobilizer. Well, it's due diligence, so it's an affirmative defense. Yeah. But, but, if you think about WD, they don't have to be believed. The evidence just has to leave the traffic court justice with a reasonable doubt. And unless the officer saw some actual interaction or app open on the screen or something, the reasonable doubt is going to be ample. I mean, we just had one... A case that Brandon did, he's actually appealing this decision, um, where the officer didn't see anything happening with the so-called phone. The client said it was the gear shifter that was in his hand, not a phone. And it was a strange type of car, so the gear shifter might look different. Um, And the JJ said, no, everyone knows what a flat black screen of a phone looks like. But flat black screen, not on. Yeah, um, I was not happy with the immobilizer case. I was more or less in agreement with the police officers uh, just because I had trouble with the finding of fact, but uh, the JJP made that finding of fact. Now we're going to end up with some weird law and it's probably going to require a legislative change. I mean, my concern is the Court of Appeal isn't just going to go, hey, here's use as it pertains to the facts of this case, but also, hey, there appears to be a lot of interest in interpreting use, and so we'd like to go one step further and provide some interpretation of use that's broader than what arises in that case, like loose phones in the vehicle or mounted phones in end vehicles, which we're going to get to, um, and like undo all the good work that I've been doing. You've been doing good work. Um, yeah, they could do that, but I mean, I, they're still bound by the legislation, although it's amazing our Court of Appeal sometimes seems to create rules without... Yeah, but there the, the are, you know... seem sne- very loosely bound to the legislation. There are sneaky ways around interpreting legislation that can get you to a desired result. Yep. I don't like that about our justice system. Um, but maybe with Vavilov from the Supreme Court of Canada... That will change somewhat. If we ever get a decision. If, if we ever get it. Um, it's going to come on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. The Supreme Court of Canada doesn't render decisions on Christmas Eve. If they give it, it could be a Christmas present to all the administrative oh, law God. nerds across the country. Meanwhile, all admin law nerds are like desperately spending Christmas trying to figure out what the fuck this Well, means. it gives them a week to sort sort shit out before their, uh, their hearings, January 2nd or 3rd. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I'm scared about what this could mean from the larger perspective, but we'll see, you know, sometimes the court of appeal asks a lot of questions about the larger issue and you think, oh yeah, they're going to clarify this. And then they just render a really meaningless short decision. That's really fact specific. Three panel bench. 
You know, they it's might always... not agree on everything. Mm, it's rare that we get a dissenting judge on our court of appeal. Almost never. Almost never. Anyway, speaking of something. But phones, they might just only agree on something really simple and decide to go that route is what I meant. So two recent cases involving class 7N drivers and cell phones. Yeah. Adding some clarity to the law. That was a good decision. Yes. Um, it was a decision again, another one like you had a little while ago with the same prosecutor looking at it saying, whoa, this is not the police applying the law correctly. Yes. And also it quoted and cited with approval my earlier case, which always makes me feel good. Like, ha, See? it's been followed. <laughs> I have a case from years ago that had a big red stop sign beside it on quick law because somebody chose not to follow it. I still think it was correct. It was a Supreme Court decision that said it, but in any event. Yeah. The important thing here is, yeah, um, so the way it was before, or the way it was interpreted, and the way you will find it in much ICBC and government literature, is that if you're a Class 7 driver, so you've got to display an L or an N, you could not have a phone anywhere around you uh, in your vehicle, you're not allowed to use it. Of course, we know that you're not allowed to use it. But you also can't, according to the police, have it mounted or have it sitting in your cup holder or have it lying on the dashboard or the seat next to you. Or you can't have it sitting in a in a slot on your dash that it's designed to be on or uh, magnetically mm -hmm. held to your dash. Of course, you're not allowed to use it still. Uh, for GPS, you're not allowed to use any phone functions. You're not allowed to use it for music, but you are allowed to have it there in your car because you're allowed to make 911 calls if there's an emergency mm -hmm. uh, or maybe some other emergency. Uh, yes, you we, may be we exempt. We know from, um, I believe it's Chandler, that the definition of emergency is unclear and vague and open to litigation. Yeah. So the point is, as a, as a new driver, you're allowed to have the phone there for that purpose. Uh, but the police took the view that if you have it mounted in your vehicle anywhere, like in a mount, that that was enough that you could get a ticket. And they were issuing people tickets uh, on that basis. And, uh, of course, a cell phone ticket triggers a driving prohibition. And if you're a Class yeah. 7 driver, you're four getting months. a three, four-month driving prohibition from one ticket. Boom. Yep. Off the road. So um, somebody appealed theirs. Yes. And um, the Crown got it and looked at it and said, whoa, hey. This is not right. This is not being applied correctly, mm -hmm. uh, again, as in your case, and uh, went in front of uh, Justice Wachuk, who used to be Judge Wachuk. I knew her very well when she was a judge, because I was in front of her all the time. She was always very thorough, and again, she was very thorough as a, as a uh, justice at the BC Supreme Court. And so she gave a reasoned decision and explained it. Yeah, and it was nice, because the Crown and Defense in that case both said, my lady... We need clarification on the law here to instruct traffic court, to instruct police officers, to instruct the public. So please write reasons, even though we're conceding the appeal. Write the reasons that say why we're conceding this appeal. And they explained, I assume, why they did, why they were conceding the appeal. Because um, it wasn't using the phone to merely have it present. So... But you think about all of those poor Class 7 drivers over the years. Well, that's the thing. Yesterday... Um, this is being Thursday night. Uh, yesterday I was interviewed by CTV and um, it was uh, Shannon who's really, she did a very good job with it. But I told her, you should talk to Cash Heed because 
he never was of the view that this is the way that the law should be applied. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was the one who wrote it. So <laughs> go talk that. to him. And so he was interviewed on CTV and it was a really good interview because he was going on about, I really hope that they give better instructions to police officers out there. I always disagreed with the way that they've done this. This was never our intention for it to be applied this way. And I love like Mike Farnworth in the, the last round of cell phone cases where he's like, no, 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 having it in the cup holders against the law. It's like, but it's not, that's not what the courts have said. That's not what the law actually says. You might wish it were, but it ain't. So maybe you should bring yourself up to speed. And it's troubling. Like when you have the current public safety minister, solicitor general, saying this is what the law says, and it's not what the law says. We know now why police are being misinformed. I don't expect them to all know exactly what the interpretation of the law is or should be. But as I was explaining to, um, to Shannon when she first phoned me about it, we, over the years had cup holder officers and not cup holder officers. Mm -hmm. There was officers who would not issue a ticket yeah. to somebody if it was in a cup holder. They thought it was shot. silly. <laughs> cheap. Yeah, exactly. And then we had other officers like, it's, they're violating the law. I'm issuing the ticket. That's my uh, job. That's my job. Yeah. And, you know, I'm paid by the taxpayers to do this. Um, so, Meanwhile, find a taxpayer who thinks that's a worthwhile ticket. So, and we had the same thing with the with the new drivers and the class seven drivers. You know, the, 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 there's a phone in the car. They're not allowed to have a phone in the car. Well, no. And then there was disagreement too in traffic court. There was the Chen decision from Judicial Justice Adair, who said mere presence of the phone, even with a class seven license, not against the law. And then other JPs who were like, well. Adair's wrong. I'm not following him. And he ended up being the outlier, but turns out he was right. So Justice Adair, if you're... Uh, Shout out. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, Judicial Justice not Adair, listening. you were right. Good for you. Also, I always agreed with you. Uh, I didn't have to run any trials on it, so... I never had to either, because I usually was able to persuade the officer... They didn't want to have to argue whether Adair's case was distinguishable against a lawyer when there was always a better way out. That's true. And uh, also it's unpleasant to have a trial. Yeah, it's just unpleasant. If you can spend uh, two hours having a trial or you can negotiate something out that makes sense yep. under the circumstances, bearing in mind the person's driving record. A lot yep. of police officers, the ones, the non-cup holder police officers, the... We're not enthusiastic about people. I mean, lots of people have ends and they've had them for years and they haven't had a ticket for years and they've been driving with an end for five years and they've just never bothered to get rid of the damn end. And then they get pulled over and they're going to get a ticket. They're going to lose their license and then they have to start again waiting before they can go and get rid of the class seven. So there's officers who are sympathetic to that. And I've talked to officers and I've talked to lots of clients who were issued tickets like this. Mm-hmm where the officer said, look, go get rid of your class seven. If you get rid of your class seven and you've disputed the ticket, by the time it comes for the trial date, I'll do something for you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, almost in the same breath as this case saying mounted in the vehicle, class seven driver, not an offense comes out. There's also a decision from traffic court mounted in the vehicle, class seven driver, pulls over um, for some, is pulled over for some other offense, takes his phone off the mount and is, you know, declining a call as the officer walks up to the window. And he is ticketed not only for whatever 
he was pulled over for, I can't remember, speeding or something, but also for the cell phone offense. And the judicial justice convicted him. Fine distinction in this case, because his testimony was that the uh, as he was being pulled over, he saw that his mother was calling, and then when he came to a stop, pulled over safely off the roadway, at a point at which he is allowed to use the phone, even with a Class 7, he took the phone and declined the call. The problem in that case was that he said that he knew his mother was calling as he was pulling over, suggesting that his phone was connected in some way that allowed him access to that information, which fell into the definition of use. Was his phone fixed? It was fixed. It was affixed, yeah. It was just that he basically gave that evidence. And he probably would have won had he not testified, because the only time the officers saw him using the phone was when he was pulled over. And so it would be like, well, officer, but the officer know. was the officer's evidence was that he was that he was using the phone when he was walking back. That was what the officer was alleging the offense to have been. Yeah, and he would have won if it was just that, because he was pulled over. Well, that's wrong. He shouldn't have been convicted. He shouldn't have testified. Well, he shouldn't have been convicted. Look, if I murder somebody and... Uh, and you come to court and, and you I say, come, look, I only killed them. I come walking down the alley and and I find a dead body mm-hmm. from somebody else and they charge me for the dead body, but they don't charge me for the one down the alley. And I I uh, throw somebody over the bridge. That's a better analogy. And then I'm walking back back off the bridge and there's a body there and I'm arrested for the body that's there. And I come to court and say, I didn't kill this guy. And they believe me. I killed the guy I threw over the bridge. Yeah, but that's different because the essential elements of the offense differ. With a murder, they have to prove the identity of the deceased and that the deceased that's identified in the information is actually deceased. Whereas with the cell phone offense, all they have to prove is that at or around the time stated on the ticket, on or near the road stated on the ticket, at the location, city, within the city limits or close proximity to the city limits of the city on the ticket, the person used an electronic device while driving. Okay, what happens if I run a stop sign? There's mm-hmm. no police officer. I drive down to the end of the block. Mm-hmm. There happens to be a police officer at the next stop sign, and I stop for the next stop sign. Mm-hmm. And the police officer just issues me a ticket that you failed to stop on 7th. I've... I've persuaded police officers to withdraw tickets by not specifying the specific intersection that my client didn't stop on. But that's different because it's talking about a stop sign, which is a like a specific road feature, as opposed to using an electronic device, which is more general. A guy should be acquitted. I, I'm not in agreement there. Should be acquitted. I, I like your tenacity, though, on your argument. He should be Paul. acquitted. He should be acquitted. Well, he wasn't. Anyway, it's gone down. Shouldn't have testified. Shouldn't have testified. Had not testified. Would have won. Was he self-represented, or? I don't remember. Hmm. I think so. Wasn't represented by me. No. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Wouldn't have testified. Wouldn't have let him testify. No. I would be like, you just admitted the offense, dude. <laughs> You're not talking. Um, so, yeah. that's the, And there's the fine line. That's how fine the line is, though, for Class 7 drivers. 
Such a fine line. Oh, those class seven drivers. Anyway, this transitions nicely into our ridiculous driver of the week. Who's our ridiculous driver of the week? Well, this is somebody who I think was trying to mount a religious rights argument in defense of a traffic ticket. So, of course, you know, you've got your right to your belief protected by the charter. Sure. Um, and And nobody's going to tell you what to think. You can practice your religion. You're free to practice your religion. The question is, are you free to practice your religion by using a electronic mobile telecommunicating device in your vehicle? Yeah, this is a person who was operating their electronic device while driving for the purposes of interacting with a prayer app. I think that's hilarious. I think it's a fantastic, hilarious argument Argument and circumstance, if it's true. That has no merit. No merit whatsoever. No merit. Nice try, um, but driving, highly regulated so activity. So was this a trial no, or was it just no. the person was, the how person, did it get into the news? Uh, uh, Delta police tweeted it. Mm. Yeah. Also, don't say stupid things to police officers at the roadside because they will tweet about it now. This is the modern age. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. Yeah. (laughs) And you don't want to be the guy who goes to court and the police have tweeted uh, about your story. No, I had a client who they tweeted about his story and somebody came and vandalized his car. What? Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. That's, That's very sad. Vigilante justice is wrong. Absolutely. And also is a mitigating factor on sentence. Um, it is. Uh, and it always surprises me that it is. I think it's wrong. That is wrong, too. I know there was a woman who Regina poisoned some Suter. trees. 2018 SCC decision. So what happened? That was the guy who got his thumbs cut off after oh, he yeah, killed yeah, the yeah, two-year-old yeah, yeah, in yeah, a drunk yeah, driving yeah. accident. And they, like, kidnapped him and cut his thumbs off. Yeah. I mean, that's some, like, pretty hardcore vigilante justice. But it didn't really net him that much of a reduction in sentence. Hmm. Um, there was a woman who poisoned some trees on, uh, in English Bay, so she would have a nicer view for her condo, so her condo would be worth more money. Um, and when it got out, people were throwing dog shit on her balcony and so forth. And she ended up getting a discharge, and I was surprised that the judge took that into consideration. I know if I was the judge, I probably wouldn't have. Mr. Souter did not get a discharge, and he was permanently physically altered. I was, um... I was surprised that the, uh, you know, the trees didn't uh, net this person a suspended sentence or a fine. Well, they probably would now. I don't know. I think they would. They were lovely trees. Broke my heart that this person killed those trees. I think with the way that property values have gone um, in the Lower Mainland, anything that's done to try and increase your property value is, like, so greedy. You already own a property. (laughs) Just keep it in your pants, you know? Yeah. Well, there was another person who cut down some trees um, to increase their view up by UBC. Anyway, back to... They managed to escape liability. Back to our ridiculous driver of the week. Um, You do have the right to use a prayer app. You have the right to use your phone to do your prayers for whatever religion you want. You don't have the right to do it in a moving vehicle. Pull over to the side of the road. Well, you could probably are allowed to do it through your stereo system so long as you don't have to look at the screen. Yeah, if your phone's mounted and And you're playing the prayer app through the It's voice activated. Yeah. 
you have the right to do that. You don't have the right to hold the phone for the purposes of interacting with the app. You don't have the right to um, interact with the app if the phone is not mounted. And I don't think that that's a huge infringement on somebody's religious rights. And there's no religion that dictates how you must interact with an app. If there is, that's a cult. They're all a cult as far as I'm concerned to some extent. Um, now tell me. Tell you. What do you want me to tell you? Um, here's a scenario example. You're driving. Mm -hmm. I get a text message with a funny video. I'm sitting beside you. We're at a set of lights. I show you the video. Against the law. I figured so. Yeah. yeah. A person who watches the screen of an electronic device commits an offense. And I've seen that so often as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've definitely held up my phone to show a driver uh, something that's on the screen. A set of lights. At a set of lights. Well, in motion, at a slow rate of speed. You know, it's... Standard thing. Yeah. Um, now, but, how do you avoid that as a driver? No, no, no. But I actually want to know, is there something to this watches the screen as opposed to looks at the screen? Like, I think that's a deliberate choice of language on the part of the legislature. Watches the screen is in referring to a prolonged look for the purposes of, of, you know, watching a video or looking at an image or something like that. But if you just glance at your phone, you're like, oh, it's giving me GPS directions. How far is this? Is it 100 meters that I have to turn? Or Showing just... me a big right-hand turn coming up or something? Yeah. Or if you glance at the phone because, you know, what time is it? I can never figure out how to reset the clock in my car. And or if you have my car, I the clock did it today. counts seconds wrong. And so eventually it's like four minutes behind, even though I program it ahead. Um, you know, if you do that, is is that watching the screen of your electronic device or is that just glancing at it? And is that different? Is that an offense? Uh, I'll tell you that every police officer would say that it is. Of course they would. Uh, and uh, would issue a ticket in those not. circumstances. I say it's not. You I think, say. Yeah. You think say, watches means something longer, means, you know, playing yeah, the video there. It's a meaningful gaze. Meaningful gaze. A meaningful gaze. Hmm. It's not something I've experienced in a long time. Um, I've had a lot of meaningless gazes over the course of my life, but not very many meaningful ones. Um, well, okay, that could then. be. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, other big driving law-related news this week. The uh, Center for Addiction and Mental Health at the University of Toronto released the results of a study that they conducted involving cannabis and driving. Which confirmed a lot of things that... Yeah, basically said everything that, like, we, You had a guest on, two guests on two to talk about. Two guests on. Scott McDonald uh, from the University of Victoria and Ron Moore, mm -hmm. both of whom have talked about this extensively. There is no association between blood THC concentration and impairment. So the way the CAMH study went, they gave a group of people... Cannabis, and there was placebo cannabis that didn't have any THC, and regular cannabis that did. Um, and they basically gave it to people and said, you got 10 minutes, smoke to your heart's content. As much or as little as you want. Get as high or not high as you want. Um, which is interesting because it's actually a better mechanism. They're not giving everybody, you know, one one gram joint or whatever. 
They're get, letting people get to a level that they would probably get to anyway, their comfort level of smoking. So you're getting a better exemplar of what the population is going to be like in a realistic scenario. Then they said, okay, here's a driving simulator. Now that it's been 10 minutes from when you smoked, how's your driving? In that time period, 10 minutes after smoking, the people who did not have the placebo were exhibiting impairment in their driving. They were driving slower and having difficulty maintaining their position within their lane. The classic indicia that Ron and Scott told us about on this podcast, you see with cannabis impaired driving and really the only driving impairment. Speed, which is actually a compensatory behavior and difficulty maintaining the lateral lane position. Then they tested them again 24 hours later and 48 hours later, and they also did blood draws. And they found cannabis um, or THC levels in the blood 24 and 48 hours later, ranging from zero nanograms of THC to 42. Wow. 42 nanograms of wow. THC, which would be like 10 times almost the indict like the hybrid offense limit. Yeah. Like an insane amount um, numbers wise. And yet not one of them showed any impairment by cannabis in their ability to operate a motor vehicle, the driving simulations. The next day. Yeah. Even with the 42 nanograms of THC in their system. Of course not. No, of course not. I mean, like I'm reading this article and I'm like, I know where this is going. I would have been shocked. You would have had me floored if the research had said anything else. The National Highway wrong. Traffic Safety Association in the States came up with the same conclusions. And, yeah, they, they presented and, a report uh, to Congress that said as much. So, I mean, for there to be another one, which brings us back to the bad legislation that we ended up with. Thank you, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Well, and this is the thing, you know, there's this period of time after legislation is brought in where the government can review it. There's supposed to be a review and they can... A year later. Change it. Which by the way, is next week. Um, and we've had now two studies. I don't know what the procedure is for that. I and I can't imagine how the problem is that those bits of legislation are so integrated in there. It's not going to be, they're not going to do it. No, they're not going to They're not going to change it. They're just going to wait for a constitutional challenge. It's so badly written. And though. they're going to say, oh, it's all about public safety and we're trying to prevent offenses from occurring and prevent danger and prevent harm and... You know, that's the essence of criminal law. That's not the essence of criminal law. And it is bad, but it is comforting. Two Canadian studies, one out of UVic a little while ago, we talked about this, and then now this one, that have confirmed this. Well, it also confirms the uselessness of the saliva testers. Yep. Because what are you getting, you know? <laughs> positive for cocaine. You, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but I mean, if you get THC, so what? So fucking what? You know, yeah. you can be obviously two days later or the next day and still have whatever, 40 times the amount of, uh, of permissible THC in your body and have no impairment. The more that this comes out and the more that we see this type of research done in Canada and heavily publicized in Canada, I think the more people are going to have an attack against an officer going, well, I've got a positive reading for THC, but I don't have reasonable and probable grounds to arrest the person 
and make a drug recognition demand because I don't believe that they've committed the impaired driving offense. But we see police officers, what, what once constituted reasonable and probable grounds 15 years ago is a lot different from what we're seeing these days. We're seeing people arrested on, on something that's really not approaching reasonable and probable grounds in a lot of cases. Classic green tongue. <laughs> I, had, I had one where my client's breath smelled like marijuana. It's like, I've never, I've known a lot of people who smoke a lot of pot and their breath does not smell like cannabis. It smells like something, but it ain't weed. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, um, it makes the Vancouver police look pretty smart by passing uh, mm -hmm. all saliva testers. And pretty much any other police detachment that chose to not bother buying the Draeger or the Abbott Sotoxa because what the hell's the point when you know you're, you know you're going to, um, well, sure. And the Sotoxa is only cannabis in Canada. So it is actually a paperweight. So it's going to just tell you that the person's got THC in their body and tells you nothing else. Yeah. whoop de freaking do Yeah. Have you seen... I'm sorry, you can't arrest somebody on that basis. You need something else. And the confirming that there's cannabis does nothing really to enhance your, or THC does nothing to enhance your, your opinion for the uh, arrest decision. Oh, I loved that, you know, in July when the new ADP legislation came into force and effect that now allows 90 day driving prohibitions roadside for blood THC concentration, uh, or for based on failed drug recognition evaluation. I haven't seen a single one of those issued. Not one. Not, not one. A one. And we've dealt with dozens of ADPs since the law changed. Like, dozens. Like maybe, maybe 50. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Dozens. Um, but, but not just that. It's also like uh, there were articles that were coming out. BC's on the road to fewer drug impaired driving deaths because they have this tool. Well, what, what freaking police force is using this tool? But none of them are, are prosecuting these or investigating these. You think they're also going to issue the 90 day and not completely bungle it if they did? We've seen fewer drug, uh, 24 hour driving prohibitions. Since legalization. Since legalization. Yeah. Cause it used to be that you, you, the officers would find cannabis in your car and give you the 24 hour for drugs. But now they're like, eh, you, you got cannabis in the car. Here's your ticket for cannabis in the car. Have a nice day. Yeah. And if they give you the 24 hour, they usually won't give you the ticket and vice versa. Well, we, I haven't seen any 24 hour for drugs in months. It's been I've, months and we used to get them. We used to get one a month. I've seen a couple, but they're all like, they're usually not cannabis. cannabis yeah. <laughs> it's not pot. Um, so yeah, that's good research out of CAMH a reputable Canadian institution that tells the government implicitly in this, they don't explicitly say it, of they course. They screwed up. You wrote bad laws. And so I say with next week, whoops, being the one year review deadline, David Lametti, if you're listening, and I know you're not. He spends all his time listening, listening to, to the podcast, podcast yeah. and the old ones, reminiscing about podcasts he's listened to. Anyone who knows David Lametti who's listening, how about that? Um, might I might have a... Send him a text. Yeah, send him a text. Say, you may want to look at this. You could kind of come off a hero if you repeal a bad law that is not based in science. No one will fault you. Even police forces will be like, yeah, it's kind of the right thing to do. 
You can be my justice minister here, oh baby. You can re-elect yourself. Exactly. <laughs> and we've devolved into singing, which signals that it is time to bring this podcast to an end. Well, I've enjoyed this thoroughly, Kyla. Thank you very much once again for having me. And um, I am hoping, I am hoping that this week we can release our next music video. So listen to the podcast and stay tuned. Watch our Twitter feed and our YouTube feed, Acumen Law. And, and we'll our, see if we get it out. Our next music video does have, for those people who are actually excited about this, a fantastic guest, a friend of the Driving Law podcast, and a host of a most excellent podcast who has had a shout out before on this on this pod. So if you're listening and you think you know who might be in our upcoming video, send us a tweet. Let us know. Um, we'll probably have a prize for people who correctly guess it. It's going to be a good video. It's a great song. It's going to be another hit mm-hmm. from the Accutones, Paul Doroshenko, Prairie Paul, Kyla Lee, Boxcar Kyla, Accutones. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law with Kyla Lee. And you can contact Kyla at 604-685-8889, VancouverCriminalLaw.com. 